Welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. Guiding us on the journey today is our host, Ron Hayes. Thanks, Billy, and howdy, neighbors. Glad to be along with you today here on The Road to Rural Prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes. Our guest today from State District 38, State Representative John Piper. John is the currently the deputy floor leader for the Oklahoma State Legislature. District 38 stretches from parts of Logan County along Interstate 35 all the way to the Kansas line. Parts of five counties make up District 38. Representative John Piper, he has served our country both militarily and now in the state legislature. And we're going to share his story with you today here on the Road to Rural Prosperity. We're powered today by Bank First, loyal to Oklahoma and to you. And we'll be back with State Representative Pfeiffer in just a few moments here on the Road to Rural Prosperity. With communities from border to border, Bank First lenders understand the needs of today's agricultural market. Whether you need to purchase land, equipment, or livestock, or maybe need an operating line of credit, call on Bank First. They are a certified lender with the Farm Service Agency and can help with specialized financing when other banks can't. Bank First is proud to serve the needs of the Sooner State's agricultural market. Bank First is loyal to Oklahoma and you. Member FDIC, loan subject to approved credit. Headquartered in Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma Public School Resource Center envisions a quality public education for every child in Oklahoma. And their mission is to drive transformation and increased academic achievement within Oklahoma's public education system. The Resource Center is a nonprofit organization that provides essential resources, professional development, and technical assistance to the state's public schools. They advocate for high-quality instruction for all Oklahoma students and support increasing classroom innovation to provide them a challenging, globally competitive education. Howdy, neighbors, and welcome back to another edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes, and we're glad to be along with you today. A final conversation for 2019 on the road. And our journey today takes us to District 38, Oklahoma uh, House of Representatives, and uh, State Representative John Viper from uh, from the uh, north-central part of our state. John, you're currently serving as, uh, what, Deputy Floor Leader. What does a De- Deputy Floor Leader do? Uh, the, the Deputy Floor Leader assists the... The floor leader, mainly the floor leader's job is uh, we're, we're fixing to get real busy. After bill filing, we go through and take all the bills that all the representatives have, uh, have filed, and we assign them to their committees. Mm-hmm. And then once they've passed out of committee, uh, we decide which act, what bills actually get heard on the floor of the state house and in what order, and are in charge of calling them up and, and as much as we can, trying to keep order on the floor, which is sometimes like herding cats, <laughs> but we do the best we can. I guess what uh, you're you're talking about what uh, thousand fifteen hundred bills something like that. Uh, yeah. Usually somewhere between fifteen hundred and two thousand bills yeah. um, uh, get filed every year, and then we just uh, start sorting through them, and and we'll start that here the first part of February. Okay, so we'll uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but let's let's, let's kind of do a fast rewind back to uh, your your earlier days, and you uh, you grew up on a farm, didn't you? I I did. I grew up on a registered Angus farm uh, outside the booming metropolis of Orlando, Oklahoma. Uh, my family settled there a, a couple days after the land run, if if you can believe family legend, and uh, bought <laughs> my great grandpa bought the first Angus cows and. 
in 1907. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's what we do. My dad uh, just got done being president of the American Angus Association, mm-hmm. uh, which we, we used to laugh which one was the worst job, being on the American Angus Association board or being in the state house. And, and at any given time, both of them have had their unique challenges. But uh, I know that for sure. Uh, yeah. But but basically, that's that's what we do. We uh, we we run registered Angus and commercial cows. Now, growing up, your your dad uh, at one point was a school teacher. He he was a school teacher. He was my science teacher oh. and and my principal there for a while. Um, it was it was lots of fun getting sent to the principal's office when you had to also <laughs> ride home with that same same principal. Uh, but you know it's. Uh, he he really enjoyed teaching and and mom was a school teacher there there too for a while um and it i don't know it it was it's funny most people slow down when they retire uh when he retired from teaching it was actually uh about the same time i was um getting done and going into college and we actually have now more than double the size of the farm uh, since he retired because we just have more time to do it. <laughs> uh, now, now you got you to tell us how, how what sort of grades did you get in science? I I I passed everything. Uh, <laughs> I I I wasn't the best student, but uh-huh. out of my graduating class of twelve, I was in the top two thirds. So uh, <laughs> that's I. Never. I'm not going to do the math. Yeah, sc- scholarly <laughs> achievements never been my strong suit. So, well, I I, I can really imp, you know sympathize and, and and empathize with you. My uh, I had a dad that uh, was uh, first a VOAG teacher. Then when we moved to a small farm in Kentucky, uh, he became a science teacher, and I he was my junior high science teacher. Uh, I, I never got an A. <laughs> no, it's 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 bad because uh, Dad really is a good science teacher, and my mom was a middle school science teacher too at Guthrie, and and we'd go on little trips and stuff, and instead of doing fun things, we'd always have to stop and see rock formations and stuff like that, and then they'd launch into a long lecture on on how you know these sedimentary rocks formed, and of course you're in like elementary school, junior high, and you don't really care; you just want to go ride roller coasters and stuff, but. It, <laughs> It's always a learning opportunity with my folks. Okay. Tell me about college. Uh, I I went to college, uh, started at OSU in 2004, uh, was on the OSU livestock judging team in 2007, uh, where we set a record in Kansas City that, to to my knowledge, still hadn't been broken. And then we got to Louisville and and had an off day and didn't win the national championship. Um, I stayed at OSU um, for for a while and then left and went into the Marine Corps. Uh, Again, scholastic achievements never been my my strong suit, and I needed to make some changes. uh, went to boot camp uh, in December of 2009. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to make sure I got my dates right. Uh, December 7th, actually, which I always was a little worried about oh. going to boot camp on Pearl Harbor Day. And, uh, but it was all right. We got stationed in North Carolina um, with a with an air wing squadron and did computer work for them. Uh, deployed to Afghanistan in 2011. Um, and then was... They were downsizing the Marine Corps and stuff at that time uh, under under a previous presidential administration, and uh, Representative DeWitt was term-limited out of our House seat, and so I was able to get a couple months knocked off my Marine Corps contract and ran home and, and filed for office, and, and lo and behold, won, and, and here we are today. Well, let's let's uh, talk a little bit about that military service that you uh, were a part of. What uh, Why the Marines? I, I don't know. I... I'd always uh, my grandpa served in the army during Korea, and I'd always something I'd been interested in, and and thought, well, if I was going to do it, I 
you know, might as well do something really hard. And so that's why I choose the braids. I, I had a master gunnery sergeant one time uh, put it this way. He goes, you know, nobody joins the Marines to serve their country. He goes, if you just wanted to serve your country, you'd go an easier route with, like, the Air Force or something. He goes, you join the Marines because you got something to prove to somebody or prove to yourself. And uh, looking back on it, that was there was probably a lot of truth to that. I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it and make it, and um, so that's that's why I went the Marine Corps route. Now, you uh, are one of our Americans that uh, did have to go to Afghanistan. Tell me tell me about that. I did. It was um, uh, 2011. Uh, we we took station a couple weeks uh, right before they they got uh, Osama bin Laden. Um, it was it was an interesting time to be there. We were running lots of high stakes missions like all of them are it was it was a unique time because we were in a drought here in oklahoma mm-hmm. so we actually it's going to sound crazy we actually got more rainfall and had cooler temperatures in afghanistan than they had in oklahoma at the time um and that was it was it was interesting those kind of uh, environmental factors and it was it was tough being away from home specifically in that time because i knew everybody was struggling and trying to get stuff done back here right now you uh, you alluded to uh, state representative dale dewitt mm-hmm. uh, of course a great great lawmaker a real yeah. champion of agriculture why the interest in running uh, for his uh, term limited seat well like you mentioned uh, dale had been just a just a huge force in oklahoma agriculture and oklahoma politics for so long and uh after redistricting he kind of designed this district to be very rural i mean i i cover parts of five counties and only get 10 stoplights blackwell's the biggest town that i get all of and so i i really thought it was important that whoever held that seat uh, needed to have an interest in agriculture needed to be active in agriculture and and try to just represent agriculture and rural oklahoma up at the state capitol um we have we have a lot of we have a lot of rural districts still now. Mm-hmm. Don't know if that's going to be the case after redistricting, uh, but we we we've seen kind of a shift that even in a lot of the rural districts, uh, there's not as many people involved in agriculture and spe- specifically production agriculture anymore. Um, filling those those seats, uh, right. it's been a big shift. It used to be that. Heck, almost everybody in the state house was involved in agriculture in some way, and that's becoming less and less um, as we continue to grow as a state. I, I, I love your demographics there for your district. <laughs> yeah, I, five, five counties, ten stoplights. Ten stoplights. There's <laughs> there's not a single permanent stoplight that I can find in all of Grant County, um, which which is good for me because I like to drive fast, so uh, it works out pretty well. Uh, so you 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 made the decision to run. You literally walked out of your uh, oh, you know hung up your your marine uniform and immediately uh, signed up uh, yep. for for a net fresh adventure and that was to run for an elected office in Oklahoma. How was that? It uh, elections are always are always fun and exciting um more exciting than fun uh the first one is really unique uh because i'd um i'd been gone for a while and and the best way to to get elected and to get to know your people is you just start going door to door mm-hmm. and, and knocking on doors and talking to folks and and that's what that's what we did and we um uh we we saw and visited most everybody in the district i i think uh, at least all the registered voters um so it uh it, it's nice to get out and and talk to folks and meet with people and it's 
it 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 was fun to me to see how each community really is unique and all the stuff they're doing to to try to make their rural community shine and prosper and and continue um as as the world continues to change i mean uh my my dad's fond of saying change never happens as slowly as it is today and and rural oklahoma's really experienced a lot of change in the past 20 years mm-hmm. um and and gonna see more and more of that um as we've shifted um and and as the world's changed we we drive further uh-huh. so it we it doesn't I mean, growing up, my dad used to talk about he'd go to Oklahoma City once a year. I drive back and forth every day during session. Right. Um, and and as the world's become smaller, uh, we've we've lost a lot of small town businesses and stuff. So we've had to adapt and and overcome and and change um, how we do things to keep the prosperity up in rural Oklahoma. And then the internet bubble happens, and you have uh, stores like Amazon and stuff like that, which have been really tough on on small town rural retailers um thankfully we've been able to address uh some of that uh in the in the state house uh for a long time on internet purchases you didn't have to pay taxes so you're actually getting a better deal by ordering something that didn't help the state out at all it was it was good for you because you got it cheaper but you were hurting your communities uh and we've been able to in um, introduce uh, more of a parity back towards that uh to give rural Oklahoma more of a competitive advantage with online internet retailers and so it's it's going to be exciting to see what happens in the next 20 years okay we're talking today with uh, state representative john pfeiffer deputy floor leader for the oklahoma state legislature for the house of representatives he's from district 38 and we'll continue with uh, state representative pfeiffer here in just a few moments on the road to rural prosperity With communities from border to border, Bank First lenders understand the needs of today's agricultural market. Whether you need to purchase land, equipment, or livestock, or maybe need an operating line of credit, call on Bank First. They are a certified lender with the Farm Service Agency and can help with specialized financing when other banks can't. Bank First is proud to serve the needs of the Sooner State's agricultural market. Bank First is loyal to Oklahoma and you. Member FDIC, loan subject to approved credit. PSO provides electricity service to more than half a million customers across Oklahoma. Increasing reliance on natural gas and renewable energy is our future. Cleaner, more affordable energy to power our lives. A strong Oklahoma economy boosted by new jobs, increased revenues for rural communities and schools. Together, our energy is boundless. Welcome back to The Road to Rural Prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes, and with us today, our state representative from District 38, kind of that north-central part of the uh, of, of, uh, of the state is kind of where you find 38. And John, you were saying that this, this uh, particular uh, uh, district, John Pfeiffer, our state representative for 38, basically it was kind of designed uh, to be a, a very rural, uh, rural-oriented uh, district. It was. It's, it's big geographically, uh, but not a lot of people one of the few districts that still has cows outnumbering people left in our states because i mean more or less i go from guthrie to the kansas line up and down i-35 and spread out spread out on both sides so uh 
even though it's spread across pretty far geographically, the communities have the same kind of interest and needs and, and concerns. So um, whether you're in, you know, northern Logan County or, or northern K County, most of these teams play each other in football. Their communities are about the mm-hmm. same size as they, they they tend to have some of the same kind of problems. Seems like uh, your uh, time in the legislature so far, I guess you were elected and you started serving which, which year now? Uh, I got elected in 2014. Okay. So you've kind of been uh, through some of the tougher times with the oil revenues off and uh, yeah. state revenues off and a lot of lot of uh, confrontation with education. Uh, you went through a, a re-election uh, with basically a lot, of, a lot of school teachers running right. uh, a year or so ago. And But then in 2019, maybe a little bit better, uh, better session. T- I, tell me about the, the differences between, say, uh, those uh, first couple of years in the state house and now and today sure uh we we came i i got elected and uh, we came in with what we thought was going to be a, a really large budget shortfall and in the course of hindsight over the last five years the 200 million uh budget shortfall for that first year doesn't seem nearly as big considering the last one we had to deal with was about a billion dollar budget shortfall mm-hmm. out of a seven billion dollar budget uh we Oklahoma's always been an oil and gas state. Um, we just, as as oil and gas goes, so does Oklahoma. We hit a really bad downturn in the oil industry where we lost about 70% of the price uh, almost seemingly overnight. Um, and and you were dealing with uh, loss, of, loss of revenue from direct production, but what we really were dealing with was a loss in income taxes because so many people had lost their jobs and and things like that, which is why it lasted so long. It wasn't the initial loss in gross production tax, uh, the the tax we have from uh, oil and gas production that that hurt us. It was the loss of income tax uh, from a lot of people who had been making either a lot more money or just simply gotten laid off. It was Anybody there for a while, anybody with a CDL license could get $90,000, $95,000 a year driving a saltwater truck. And it wasn't that they still didn't have trucks to drive, but they just weren't making 95000 a year doing it. Um, and so it was difficult. We had to, we, we made some difficult decisions in the House. It took a while to do it. it took us a couple special sessions to finally come up with some plans to, mm-hmm. to increase and stabilize revenue. And I think this last year we saw the dividends from that. It was, it was tough in those decisions. I mean, raising taxes is never universally popular, but I think it was the right thing to do, especially considering the times we were in. And and we're seeing the the payoffs from that now. We we had increased revenues for the first time last year. We were able to backfill in some spaces that we'd cut. Um, over the past five years, we'd cut roughly 70% out of our state budget. Um, granted, some of that budget was probably overinflated from some really good years, uh, but still, anytime you cut anything seventy percent roughly yeah. across the board, you're you're going to be dipping into some pretty essential services. Uh, we were able to backfill those. We were able to put two hundred million additional dollars into savings, uh, which is good because we're seeing another uh, another downturn in in the oil industry. Luckily, um, the you know the collections to the state haven't been as bad or as off, uh, but we are seeing a slight downturn uh, from this time last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think going forward, we're, we're in a better position to deal uh, if we have another significant revenue downturn. I also think we've 
we, we've always said, you know, the one thing we need to do in this state is diversify away uh, from oil and gas so that every time the oil market falls, we don't have these huge budget deficits. Um, I think now we're, we're finally starting to, to see that, that possibly we're doing that. Uh, with, we're, we're down to 51, I think, active rigs in the state, uh, but our sales tax collections and stuff are still high, uh, and, and that's a good thing. I think we're right. finally starting to diversify. The, the, not the bad thing, but, but one of the things that I think it's important to remember about the oil and gas industry is that when oil and gas is good, it's so much better than everything else that you it actually draws people away and just because they're going and, and pumping rigs and stuff right now doesn't mean they can't go back to the regular job it just doesn't pay as much and so I, I think we're seeing kind of that settling effect as people settle back into what they were doing before they went into the oil and gas industry. Right, right. Now, within the the, the sessions that you, the various uh, years you've served, uh, I guess what uh, we, we saw some real turmoil, especially in 2018, ahead of, of, that, of that election cycle. Uh, t- tell me, you know, it was that was an emotional time. I mean, there was a lot of rancor. There's a lot of people pretty mad. They they were. Um, I part of it's just a change in society with with social media and things the way it is now. Especially if you spend a lot of time on your phone, it seems like you know you're supposed to be mad. Not everybody, and, and and even myself, like we're not always sure what we need to be mad about, but we know we're supposed to be <laughs> mad about something, and and it was easy at that time. I mean that we we in the state it, because of the restrictions put on by state question six forty, uh, we weren't able to kind of do what they'd done in the past, which mm-hmm. was just willy nilly raise taxes and, and fix some of these problems, and so the whole process was a little slower, and and people were upset. There was. Uh, some stuff going on nationally that that people were upset about and and by and large i mean most of our incumbents uh came back i think uh i i think the big thing the the important thing to remember something i try to do is is when people are upset hear them out and and do a good job communicating of what's actually going on because in today's day and age it's very easy to spread false information and i think uh i I, I have numerous town hall meetings and stuff during session and, and try to do a good job connecting with my, my folks back home. And I think that's that's the important thing to do. Once, Even if people disagree with you, once they kind of realize what's going on and the steps trying, you're taking to try to fix it, they at least understand, and that calms down some of that anger. Um, right. and, and I think that was really where we got caught up. We were, we were at a point uh, – kind of a boiling point where everybody was mad we were able to do some stuff um we were, we actually were able to pass the revenue raisers before the teacher walkout even happened i don't know if they just didn't know it i mean some wires got crossed it wasn't communicated as well as it should have been and i think that's kind of kind of where we found ourselves as a state right now uh, it resulted in a lot of teachers and, and some others that were very unhappy uh decided to file and run mm-hmm. you you actually had an, an opponent uh, in uh, in 2018, right? Yes, uh, two of them. Yep, and um, I, I I think it was interesting to see. Nothing's ever as easy as it seems uh, when when you're looking at it from the outside. Uh, we uh, after the 2018 elections, we had uh, several of those uh, people who who. Uh, more former former teachers got in and and they're going through the budget process and stuff and they go wow this 
this isn't nearly as easy as we thought it was. And and so, I mean, when when you're dealing with a roughly $7 billion budget, uh, over half of that goes to education. Um, anyways, it's, it's hard. And it's also interesting to kind of view the different layers of, of government. The most the most important part in education, the most important layer of government, isn't at the state level. It's at the local school board level. I mean, those are the people who really can make make or break break a school district. And and I I think sometimes we we forget about that. And it's it's easy to pass the buck on up. Mm-hmm. And and I'm by no means saying the state was doing a perfect job, but I think it's important sometimes to remember where all these layers kind of happen. And and the point of local control is so that the state can't come in and tell you how to run your local school districts. That's fine, but when things go bad, it's not always all the part of, all the fault of the state. Um, and so I think it's kind of important to remember everybody's different goals and jobs as we go through. Now, you've got a couple of uh, filters that are, are, I guess, glasses you almost look through and focus on things when you uh, look at these uh, uh, priorities within the state legislature. You've obviously got your local district, a very rural district, but you've got that bigger picture as uh, deputy floor leader that you're you're dealing with as well. Uh, you know, from those points of view, give me a, a, a you know a grade or maybe an analysis of 2019. Uh, I'd say a, a a solid B plus, um, maybe maybe even an A minus. I don't know. Uh, on, on 2019, we were able to accomplish a whole lot uh, in, in a short amount of time, and some really big stuff uh, that that will affect our state government long term. But people don't see necessarily every day. We were able to come through and uh, with the urging of Governor Stitt, finally able to pass some governmental reform. Uh, change the nature of the way we do some boards and the way agency heads are appointed. And, and this has been a huge problem. Uh, and Henry Bellman, I found an op-ed piece that Henry Bellman wrote in the 80s about one of the things we fundamentally need to change in our government is how these agency heads are appointed. And, and we still hadn't, in 2019 was the first time we were able to make a significant change towards that. It was interesting. We were going through some negotiations with the governor's office mm-hmm. on, on how the logistics and everything would work. And and one of them, one of the governor's people got a little frustrated and they said, it's been three weeks and we haven't reached a decision. And I was able to pull out that Bellman op-ed and I said, it's been 50 years and we haven't been able to reach <laughs> a decision. The fact that we've come this far uh, in three weeks and we're able to get it passed in, in week four was a huge step forward. Um, and, and it really just kind of goes to show the old Ronald Reagan saying, it's amazing what you can get accomplished when nobody cares who gets the credit. And I think that's where we actually are in, in state government now. We, we've got an executive, we've got leadership in the House and Senate both that just want to fix problems. And and we don't really care as much about the politics. We don't really care who gets the credit. We just want to fix some problems and, mm-hmm. and move forward. And that hadn't always been the case in this state. Right. Now, you know, uh, some maybe a, a, a specific piece of legislation or two that you feel was significant uh, that came out of the 2019 session. Sure. Um, the, one of the bigger things that, that we've done for the state, and specific, uh, specifically for agriculture that, that nobody's really talked about, um, was – uh, limiting ag liability piece uh, that we were able to get past. Uh, it uh, it takes uh, it limits the liability for nuisance lawsuits on on agriculture property, uh, which as our state continues to grow, uh, is going to continue to be just a bigger and bigger problem. Uh, 
my great grandpa used to tell the story that he had a banker who wanted him to buy a bunch of land and he went out and looked at a piece of land here in north oklahoma county and grandpa didn't great grandpa didn't buy it even though he could have bought it for a hundred dollars an acre because he said he couldn't run 10 cows on it that land now is the nichols hill quail springs area and so as our state continues to urbanize and as we continue to grow we're, we're seeing more and more things where now new urban suburban oklahoma is butting up right against rural agriculture land right and and it's kind of creating some problems as it has in other states uh and this this legislation would give these farmers another amount of protection when at least in my opinion the city encroaches in upon them um it was really important north carolina had had a piece like this that was dramatically important when they had the hurricanes go through and the hurricanes flooded a bunch of lagoon areas um, in in hog farms and was able to protect those hog producers in North Carolina. Um, Fun fact, random fact, everybody wanted to focus on the hog farms in terms of environmental impact. The overflows from just regular human sewer treatments plant caused way more of an impact than anything agriculture had to do. (laughs) But everybody needs sewer treatment plants they don't want to they don't want to hold those kind of accountable and and as we've gone through and as, as we continue to look a lot of that that's kind of a common narrative a lot of these things that also have a you know suburban urban impact uh nobody really wants to talk about but they really want to talk about the impact that ag's having right. and and so i think it's important to be fair and i think this piece of legislation is going to do a lot in the future uh to protect agriculture and individual farmers and ranchers i guess the the ag nuisance situation uh the the poultry setbacks over in northeastern oklahoma that uh, that kind of uh, was one of those poster child type things for for ag nuisance yes it, it was um again um an interesting study where they want to blame all of the problems in the Arkansas River on agriculture, even though we've we've proven by science, we've proven in court, uh, we, we've uh-huh. proven every way possible that uh, it, it's not us. Uh, as we continue to go through, as they continue to build the poultry industry uh, in northeast Oklahoma and southeast Oklahoma, um, how how many of those houses can be on a section how far the setbacks have to be was very important uh we ended up going through and and doing that through the administrative rules process uh through the oklahoma department of agriculture basically the new secretary of agriculture blaine arthur and her board uh came up with a set of rules and guidelines and were able to pass them and then the legislature approved those rules and the reason we did that rather than codify it through statute um is the fact that if there is a problem and something needs to change, the State Department of Agriculture has the ability to change those faster than we can in statute. It also takes a lot of the pol- the just the sheer politics out of it. Um, it sometimes, especially as on an issue as heated as poultry setbacks, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's better to take the politics out of it and get to the true issues. And we were better able to do that, and and Blaine was better able to do that through the administrative rules. Right now, let's uh, maybe jump forward. You've uh, obviously there's been some interim studies here uh, between the end of the session and getting ready to start uh, 2020. What uh, in your mind? What what are the things that you're going to be uh, paying attention to uh, when we uh, flip the calendar over? Sure. Um, 
I, I think it's going to be a, a really good session, uh, by and large. I, again, I think I think education is going to be a major issue. Um, how do we better fund and how do we better um, account for the money we're spending and and how do we increase student achievement? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been lots of interim studies on on how do we how do we do that now that we've we we've done a better job funding our education sector. How do we you know take that money and turn it into better student outcomes? Uh, I also think we're going to see a lot of stuff uh, coming forward on on just uh, criminal justice reform. How do we how do we do that? How do we do that while keeping people safe? Um, and how do we lower DOC population without? Or, or maybe a better word, how do we better use the money that we give to the Department of Corrections? Uh, is it letting people out, or is it do we need to build a new prison? Is it how do we balance that with public mm-hmm. safety? Um, from the ag standpoint, there's going to be a lot of uh, continuing talk on how do we deal with feral hogs. Uh, the Conservation Commission just got a huge grant uh, to deal with that. What's the best way to deal with that? Um, trying to prepare our state um and last year we were able to give money for the first time in a long time to the state diagnostic lab and how do we prepare our state and and our country as a whole for a possible african swine fever outbreak Mm -hmm. Uh, this this is the scariest thing that 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 hog production and agriculture production um, has seen in a long time, and yeah, we've always talked about foot and mouth, but that's kind of been a theory almost. And right, this African swine fever is real. It's real. Oceans haven't been able to stop it. It made the jump to Europe uh, a couple weeks ago. It it is extremely scary. I know I've said in several meetings uh, between our Department of Agriculture and USDA on proper protocols. How do we? Uh, and, and kind of worst case scenario, I know um, the the pork industry and Secretary of Arthur have briefed the governor on if this happens, these are the things that need to do. Um, we need to do immediately. Uh, it's it's going to be if it happens, uh, it, it really is a nightmare type scenario, which I, I hate using nightmare type scenarios, but it brings. It, it brings into sharp focus some of the things that we haven't paid enough attention to, especially when money got tight, like the state diagnostic lab, like additional money to the state veterinary college and things like that. And so it's important to kind of use these things to say, all right, we, we're, we've, we've got a little bit of money now. We need to refocus and reprioritize. Okay, wrapping wrapping things up here now. You know, uh, we we're obviously uh, the title of our little podcast, "Road to Rural Prosperity." We've been talking about these top ten uh, excellence in agriculture, excellence in rural Oklahoma uh, concepts that uh, uh, Governor Kevin Stitt has talked about. Top ten outcomes. What what does that look like to you, as far as your district and and at the, at the state legislature? I think we're we're staring down the barrel of a real boon time in, in rural Oklahoma. Um, advances in technology are going to make towns in my communities able to compete with Oklahoma City and Tulsa. I, I really do believe that. Last year, I, I passed a tax credit to bring in um, more Internet-based uh, jobs. I, I really think with the increases in technology, you don't have to – headquarter a business in Oklahoma City or Tulsa anymore. You can do it anywhere. And with internet startup companies, you're talking about anybody with broadband access can start a multi-million dollar company. And I think that's I think that's what we're seeing. I think also people are really starting to 
realize the benefit of living in rural Oklahoma. They may not work there, but they're seeing the benefit of raising their kids there, uh, going to church there. Just we have better, bet I say better because mm-hmm. that's how I grew up, and I'm pretty biased, but better, more tight knit communities. And so I think we're going to see a real kind of upsurge in rural Oklahoma as we continue. Um, to make it easier uh, to live out there. Uh, High-speed internet access, better cell phone service, long-term in the future, driverless cars, uh, food delivery services, and and things like that that take some of the things that my wife, who who grew up in town, that doesn't like about living in the country, and it'll kind of smooth it out and give everybody more of an even shot. the the biggest thing we have to worry about in, in rural Oklahoma is is our own perceptions, uh, and my parents are the worst about that, and I give them a hard time about it. A lot of times we want things to get better, but we don't actually want anything to change. <laughs> you want and, to keep those ten stoplights. That's right, and and some of that we're we're going to have to change and adjust with the times. But if we're if we do that, uh, we're going to see huge outpouring and, and stuff and it's it is amazing to me how much these these little towns and communities drive that uh real simple point in case uh blackwell has increased their tourism uh with a barn quilt trail first barn quilt trail in the state of oklahoma and it is amazing to me how many people pull off of i-35 they're on their vacation they go you know what we want to spend 10 to 30 minutes looking at barn quilts and they have a map and it's things like that kind of outside-the-box things that these communities can do uh, to, to drive tourism and, and business development while still realizing that it's the agriculture and, and the hometown feel of it that, that makes it special. Right. State Representative uh, Pfeiffer, thank, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. John Pfeiffer joining us today from uh, State District uh, 38. He's the Deputy Floor Leader for the Oklahoma State Legislature here in 2019-2020. Uh, in And uh, we appreciate him being along with us today on The Road to Rural Prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes. Thanks for joining us for today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast. You can join the conversation about how rural Oklahoma can prosper by looking for us on Facebook. And you can find our growing number of conversations on our website, ruralprosperityok.com. The Road to Rural Prosperity podcast series is a production of the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and OklahomaFarmReport.com. Proud to be a part of the family of the Funk Companies. <laughs>